Hello and welcome to episode 10 of the Replatform podcast with me, James Gerd, and the indefatigable Paul Rogers, who only gets up in the morning by thinking about e-commerce platforms. How are you doing, Paul? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, not bad, actually. Looking forward to the weekend. Um, we're joined by the uh, the ever-wonderful Joe Easy from um, uh, EpiServer, or Joey Moore as he's properly known, but Joe Easy on uh, uh, on Twitter. Are you having a good week, Joey? I've, I've had a fantastic week this week. Yeah, I feel like I've got a lot done. So yeah, it's a, it's a good week as we're kind of sort of marching through winter. Excellent. It's always good to feel productive. Um, so yeah, to set up this episode, as Replatform consultants, myself and Paul always get quite excited when there's a big new announcement from um, an existing um, piece of technology rather than just one of the standard releases. An Epi server is continuously investing in the platform in, in Q4 2019 announced the acquisition of IDEO, which is a specialist content personalization engine, which I know Joey's going to talk quite a bit more detail about. Um, but given the obsession with the term personalization, we wanted to probe Joey on what that acquisition actually means in practical terms for e-commerce teams, because personalization offers gets misused um, in terms of what it is and what it can do. And we want to look at whether this is a game changer for content and commerce-driven organisations. So we'll start with the essentials and we'll hopefully deep dive in and get a bit more of an inside track for you all today. Are you ready for some questions, Joey? Absolutely, yeah. Far away. Excellent. Let's drain your knowledge. And, and first, a quick apology because we'd already recorded this episode last week and for some reason had a weird sound issue. So we've now been locked in EpiServer's own sound room <laughs> and no means of escape to make sure we give Joey a better quality recording. Uh, yeah, so sorry for that groundhog experience, Joey. That's all good. Right, let's start with an intro. So if you wouldn't mind um, just sharing with, with everyone listening what your role is at EpiServer um, and then also what, you know, what EpiServer really is and how you try and differentiate versus competitors. Cool. So, so my role, I sit within the uh, product team. Um, my, my official title is um, Head of Evangelism for Amir and APAC, and so it's a bit of a mouthful. But in, in, in reality, I think, I mean, I've... I've Got the, I'd say the best job in the company, and that I get to spend a lot of time with um, partners and customers and the analyst community, um, talking about what makes EpiServer great, helping them understand and get the most value out of the, the product and solutions we offer, but also um, taking that information back into the business um, as I'm meeting those different groups and, and feeding that information back to continuously improve the product. And you and you set up that job title yourself. I assume did. Really? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Good work. Um, great. So I have a question for you to start off with. So from speaking to other people within the e-commerce industry, EpiServer is generally associated more with the enterprise mm -hmm. end of the market. And a lot of people see it as maybe more of an enterprise platform or an enterprise content management system. Um, how fair do you think this is in terms of an assessment? And do you think it's also suitable for smaller retailers? Yeah, so, so, so a lot of our heritage um, was certainly from the content management side. Um, we've had for, for a number of years a very robust um, e-commerce proposition and we're, we're the only platform now that has a true marriage between content and commerce, having being able to manage your content within a single screen. And this was kind of the, the, the holy grail for many years as retailers uh, understand that to create great experiences for customers, to connect with customers, they need to be able to produce and manage great content to give a more kind of editorial editorial or kind of authoritative experience to their customers um, and so having having those those tools and that capability within the platform is, is hugely beneficial um, likewise on the other side we're seeing organizations that traditionally were using the web purely as kind of marketing or the lead gathering who weren't maybe selling online they're starting to, to sell online even b2b organizations more traditional manufacturers um, trading companies uh, distributors etc who are looking at trading online, and so we're offering a great set of solutions for them as well. 
and given the fact that your heritage was just from content management uh, and like community management, yeah. and that's what I think sometimes some people still associate yeah. it, even though yeah, obviously you've, you've accelerated in those Gartner quadrants of commerce. Yeah. Um, at what point do you think e-commerce um, became a critical um, capability with an Epi server, and 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 what typically drives people to go to? Do people come to you through content then into commerce, or people come in for both content and commerce solutions? We, we 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 come in for both now. I mean, we're, we're the um, one of the only platforms to appear on, you mentioned Gartner, on the Gartner quadrants for commerce, web content management and personalization. So interesting, and I think it's been announced already, certainly out there, that, that Gartner actually aren't running a web content management um, report next year. It's actually going to be focused um, purely on digital experience platforms. Yeah. And that's kind of where the industry's gone, that everyone who was previously just commerce and everyone who previously just content and kind of move into the other thing. But we've been there for years, so for us, that's a, a real uh, boom for us. Interesting. Um, so another question, and I um, I don't know the EpiServer landscape as well as a lot of people, and I know James has done a lot more with it than I have. Um, in terms of your kind of systems integration partners and also technology partners, kind of talk us through a little bit on that side and kind of where the type of SIs you're working with, the level yeah. of SIs you're working with. Um, yeah. So in terms of SIs, we've got about, uh, I think I've just tipped over a thousand um, SI partners globally oh, wow. now. Um, and, and that's in different regions, the US, Europe, um, Australia, et cetera, and wider. But in terms of, so, so there's some um, larger agencies that will work with their clients completely end-to-end -end doing the, the strategy, um, the, the um, development, design, the, the whole, the, doing everything and they're pure just build partners will come in and help the client just do the build project and they might work with someone else for design they might work with someone else for the strategy side so it's a kind of broad range of partners but that's still the most common when people will engage in SI to, to, to build their site so there, there's um, so say from in the UK for example there are existing partners who can provide both the UX UI piece as well as the development. yeah absolutely yeah and then we, we have quite a, um, a robust sort of partner certification process as well so we certify uh, partner developers but also the partners themselves where they have um, show certain grades of competency and uh, excellence with our different product suites as well so and to, to be a partner do you have to be certified or can people be a partner but actually certification gives that extra level of yes yeah, so, 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 yeah, so, so we have different levels as well so the there's um, sort of the top level where they show that they've shown certain competency they have a number of developers who've gone through certain um, certification processes as well so depending on how you normally select your SI there's kind of something for everyone. And um, I was looking at some of your partners and I noticed you work with the likes of Bourne and Maginus who are more at the enterprise level. Do you have smaller partners as well? Yeah absolutely I mean we've got some um, reasonably small sized clients who might be larger businesses but maybe sort of just taking their first steps into commerce and you know, see that quite a lot in B2B. Yeah. Um, Equally, um, some uh, smaller companies because who maybe are already perhaps in using Dynamics in the Microsoft stack um, because we play very, very well with Microsoft, yeah. we tend to be a good choice for them as well. So. Okay, and um, I talked um, a little bit about technology partners there. In terms of kind of extending the platform via things like apps or extensions and also integrating with other systems and technology yeah. partners generally, um, what's the ecosystem like on that side around the platform? So In, yeah. it's, it's, it's very good and, and growing. I mean, one of the things we've always talked around or we get called out a lot by the analyst community and our own customers, they said, you know, it's great working with the platform because it's so extensible. We're not, we don't feel like um, <clears throat> perhaps one might with a sort of traditional more sort of SaaS 
platform where you're completely locked down and you take what you're given and that kind of um, uh, confines you in terms of how you want to kind of innovate and grow. Um, so the, the platform is very flexible in that regard. But one of the things we did last year to kind of sort of double down on that is to um, launch uh, the app marketplace. So for we, we have, I think, 50, 60 different um, apps on there now that are certified that go through our own processes um, to make sure <clears throat> that they're, they're, they're robust and supported, etc. Um, that are, you know, things covering like payments, um, fraud prevention, the CRM connectors for likes of Salesforce, Marketo, etc. So there's a, a broad range within there as well. And in terms of the digital market space, because I think sometimes some of the um, marketplaces, like especially on Shopify, really strong for like smaller tech companies around digital marketing yeah. processes. So it might be exit intent, lifestyle marketing flows, you name it, marketing automation. So you mentioned like Marketo. Do you have um, partners who play in more kind of niche areas of digital marketing or is that an area that you think will build out over time? Yes, it's one of the things we're, we're, we're building out. I mean, we, you know, we launched... Um, about five or six months ago, we've already got 50, 60 different apps on there. Um, we don't ever want to grow it to the you know where there's so many thousands, yeah. there's a sort of a quality issue which we've seen can happen. So we want to keep it um, definitely uh, kind of keep a level of control over it so that we're, we're confident that whatever goes on there is going to be, as I say, supported and good and stuff. So, so, but we're speaking to lots of those um, providers and, and other solution providers and getting them kind of certified through the process as we speak. Fair enough. Um, so I'd quite like to, to dive into a bit more detail about IDEO and the personalization side now, because that was obviously a big acquisition at the end of last year. Before we get into what it really means, it would be useful if you could frame it. What, what is IDEO and why did EpiServer decide that the acquisition was required? So in terms, so, so a lot of this came from speaking um, to our, our customers and understanding some of the challenges that they had, specifically around content. You know, the, 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 the personalization um landscape within EpiServer has really evolved over the last few years. One, you know, historically where if you wanted to do sort of manual personalization, we can do that, you can change banners based on rules and all those kind of things. Uh, for the product um, personalization side in terms of product recommendations and email triggers and all those kind of things, we kind of got that covered. I think we've got one of the best solutions on the market for that. Then there was this kind of gap around content. And lots of our customers we're speaking to who have um, especially some of the retailers who kind of speciality retailers have a really strong content story to tell and they're publishing content um, and other <clears throat> pure content customers. They, they, there's two, two challenges. One is that they're, they're, they're the amount of content they're producing that they can't you know, auto-tag it, they can't catalogue it, sort of understanding the context of the, the, the content and whether it's actually being useful for their users um, and then what kind of content they should be producing that kind of results in that end goal. So there's kind of these kind of two-phase challenges. Um, so the the aim I'm assuming is that the content and commerce personalization become closely coupled. Yeah. So it's not a you can personalize content using an IDEO technology and then you use your core technology for com commerce. So whereabouts in the in the kind of pipeline is that integration? Is IDEO already properly integrated and it's doing you know, full uh, content optimization regardless of where content is? Or yeah, so, so, so as you said, I, mean, I think it was just over a month we completed the acquisition. So um Already a huge amount has, has been done. We've already integrated um, certain elements in terms of, it's, it's, first of all, IDEO is actually a relatively light integration that is a single line of tracking script and then most of the hard work is done on our side in terms of that, that tracking and the relevancy. Um, 
how it works out the relevancy of the articles and, and everything. So it's actually quite straightforward to actually start to integrate that within in the platform. So as we go and roll out and build sites, it becomes actually sort of very much part of the workflow. So if a customer is now uh, an EpiServer client mm -hmm. and they've got the personalization module and they're paying for it, yeah. is the EDO bit part of the personalization module or is it a new kind of module it's, it's, it's that a new you thing. pay for? It's, it's okay. a new thing. It's, um, and we're actually breaking out um, uh, content intelligence, which is the understand what my content's doing, how people are engaging with my content, yeah. to the actual content recommendation side as well. Because it might be that some organisations say, well, actually, we just want to understand it so we can inform our editorial teams what they should be creating. Whereas other people are actually saying, well, I want to be bringing, uh, make, getting more value from that content by bringing it back into the platform. I get you. And so will the, the analytics bit go into, because I know you, the way that the, the, the platform's kind of chunked up is yeah. you've got different components, capabilities. So does that analytics part of the content go into your analytics Absolutely. Yeah. So, okay, right, I get you. That makes sense. Um, what would be really interesting, because I think, Paul, you've talked about this before, about a client with a huge amount of content who just couldn't make it manageable to, to catalogue yeah. and, and tag up content, because it is, I mean, it's a, it's a massive manual yeah. headache. What does IDEO do? So, what is the, could you articulate the benefits from a, 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 an e commerce content team or an editorial yeah. team? What, what is it doing for so, them? So, one of the things, it's using NLP to actually read that content, understand it, and tag it. And it's using, um, a, a topic cloud, so tagging it with different topics, and there's a library of 25 million topics it's doing, and it's doing that automatically. So, you know, and I've been involved with e-commerce products, uh, projects like you have, where it's literally months of people going through content and products, yeah. etc., tagging these things. And losing the will to live. And losing the will to live, because it's interesting for about a morning. <laughs> um, and then, um, so, so being able to do that all automatically, so, so you build that really rich relationship between the, the, the topics and the, the content for the website, but then also, applying those topics to the individuals that are actually coming on to the website. So understanding uh, if I'm on um, uh, a, a multi-brand retailer site, then it might be the, the, the brands that I'm engaging with, the categories that I'm engaging with, the articles that are, might be particular specialist articles um, versus someone else who's looking at completely different things and understanding what their interests are. Especially where there might be more of a considered purchase as well. You know, you're not going on and just buying that thing you need. You're maybe sort of making two or three visits and trying to understand it a bit better as well. And how will it link in with the the search? Because you've got the, the episode of find and you've got the personalised find. Yeah. So if I'm searching for something, is is IDEO going to be used to understand like the search intent and match content to that, or is it different? Yeah, I mean, it, it, ultimately it will. I mean, today the personalised search works um, uh, on products. So it will, as I'm searching for... Um, trainers on a, on a shoe site then it will um, look at the my previous history and then again look at things like brand and price point things okay. I've engaged with maybe previously viewed items from that category that I haven't purchased and start to surface so it's bubbling up products already so ultimately will be with content as well content that's kind of aligned to my previous interests. okay cool and I'm assuming there's no no 100% fixed timeline on when that's uh... <laughs> of course not <laughs> no. I know it's I, quite I, a big I, job so. I, I would just say in terms of <laughs> They've made great guns already, so and it's something you know. We're, we're as we're kind of rolling out and speaking to our current customers, finding out what's going to be most valuable for them because we don't want to kind of do something that doesn't off, offer the most value. I didn't customers. think I'd be able to get you to commit to a date, but <laughs> no. you know, I'm always hopeful. Um, <laughs> building on that, um, so for me, from speaking to clients over the last couple of years, the holy grail seems to be that kind of combined um, personalization, machine learning, and then kind of manual intervention across yeah. search 
product grid, product recommendations, and then on some level content recommendations. Um, with EpiServer and with what you've yeah. taken from Pirius and what you've built over the last few years, and then now with Video, um, would you be able to, as a re or as a user of EpiServer, kind of define a level of logic that could be applied across all of these, um, kind of unified, and then with the ability to kind of merchandise a lower level as well? Yeah. So what one of the things we um Certainly on the on the product side, Ned, as you, you know, my background as I did, did was on the product personalization side for very many years. And one of the things that was absolutely fundamental was having those merchandiser controls on top of yeah. whatever the, the black box was spinning out. Five or six years ago, everyone would say, oh, just let the black box do it. And the, you know, day one, you go live and the recommendation would come out and they say, oh, why is that being shown next yeah. to that? And it's usually the CEO or the marketing director that would pull you up on that. Um, so having... Um, a, a strong set of uh, merchandising capability that sits on top of the AI is kind of table stakes now. And if you, if you don't have that within your current platform, you need to be, be looking around because m most platforms have a, a good, some kind of um, merchandising capability. Yeah. So also then being able to apply that to um, content as well as important and where, you know, ultimately where it goes, you kind of let the machine be building some of those pages, some of that content automatically, depending on the likes and interests of the user. Um, but as you say, yeah, you need to be able to control a lot of that as well. On um, so I guess um, around that, so on our average Magento project, yeah. there's a good chance that you'd have a search solution, a product recommendation solution, yeah. and then you'd either use a module or kind of a higher level solution for merchandising. Yeah. Um, but they'd all be independent of each other; they'd all be siloed. Um, does EpiServer have the ability to kind of combine any business logic across all of those in one? Yeah, so, one, so level? one of the things that people, and I was reminded when I listened to your. Um, uh, the last podcast, which was cost of ownership, one the, 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 the total cost of ownership. Sexy one. topic. But... It was. I mean, it was a great podcast because one of those things it talks about, and people don't think about maybe when they're kind of planning their e-commerce project, is as as well as my e-com platform, I'm going to be using um, analytics, A/B yeah. testing, probably two or three personalization yeah. engines for content or commerce, um, an email service provider. Um, not sure what I said. A/B testing, but. So, so in the CMS, maybe on top of that. So, so ultimately, you're starting to buy all these different platforms. With one of the reasons that our customers love us is that we offer the um, everything within the single package. Yeah. Um, so that there's a huge benefits in terms of total cost of ownership when you know when you're comparing us against other platforms. Um, but also, it means that the the one side the data is shared between all the different parts of the platform, so you're not moving data around and spending so much time focusing on integrations within the build to you know speeds up the, the build process but also and something that doesn't get talked about is up in terms of sort of data security in terms of the customer data it's not being pushed around through different various applications it's all within the, the single suite so there's a security consideration as well and a question that's something that we've discussed previously and you're probably better at articulating this Paul was some issues you've seen before with personalization tools where it, it's come into conflict with things like caching where yes. actually to, to properly personalise list pages becomes much more complex and doesn't always work. So can you frame that in a more articulate way? Because I think it would be interesting to understand yeah. from an episode point of view how that personalization actually works and delivers the content through to the user. Yeah, so I guess um, on some platforms that are heavily reliant on caching, one of the areas that's often cached is a product grid. And in order to kind of personalise at a user level, um, you end up 
moving away from the platform and then in certain platforms you can only then use kind of a javascript product grid yeah. um, and then you end up with quite a lot of complexity around creating a um, um, a static version of that grid within the page um, so how do you kind of handle personalization at that level within the product grid yeah so one of the things i mean i know exactly what you're talking about in terms of um where we've seen the issues of Flickr as well, where, where you know pages yeah. kind of load and then they take a second yeah, to load again. Yeah. Kind of yeah, and then you get false clicks because you thought the content was there and it's... Yeah, yeah. So, so, so one of the... I mean, um, in terms of doing a lot of it server-side, so the, the, the personalization piece is done on our side, so it's not all done yeah. in the browser, so, so that, that slows things down. And also, um, you know, we're, we're a very mature platform, so we've had many years to optimize and make the speed great and you know of all the many things that you might get called up for in terms of personalization speed rarely is one these days yep. we kind of build the kind of create solution um, i think the big difference uh with the platform that i'm kind of referring to and your yeah. platform is that personalization is kind of at the heart of the product as opposed to an add-on yeah. um yeah and that was it i mean then we, we kind of we saw where the market was going three or four years ago and in the expectation for the consumer is that the, the, the web will be personalised for them. And so we were able to sort of invest in, in that way, and I think we made the right call. Excellent. Um, let's talk a little bit broader sense about EpiServer platform and, and directions. I know, Paul, you, there was a few things to talk about earlier. You wanted to probe a bit more around like product strategy and where it's going. Yeah, so, I mean, that's the main first question. So kind of where, what direction are you going in in 2020 and beyond? Like, what's next with the product strategy? Yeah, so one of the ones is really focusing on um, uh, the, the integration, making sure that the... the you know, the EDO piece, and um, we also acquired um, Insight Software at the end of last year as well, um, which is a phenomenal um, B2B commerce solution, which, um, again, is, is the leader in many of the um, analyst reports. So it's really being very thoughtful about how we bring the best of those kind of three solutions, Epi, EDO, and Insight, together um, to best serve our customers. We, we know... Uh, we're very clear around how we want to bring those products in, certainly around the personalization capabilities um, within um, IDEO, but also within the, the, some of the B2B capabilities within Insight. We've got a great uh, B2B um, capability today, but there's so much more that we can offer now. And the, the additional uh, functionality that Insight will bring, is that going to be integrated to the core platform we're in? Because some of the other platforms have bought B2B, but then it's still a separate entity at the moment. So will it be you would basically go into a central platform and be able to manage your B2B Yeah, and B2C ultimately, ultimately that, that would be the plan. You know, okay. we, we know that that's where you know, our customers will get the most value because they're not, we know one of the struggles is working across multiple platforms. Yeah. Ultimately. So, you know, what, what the timelines will be, we'll, we'll have to look at that because as we say, we want to do it thoughtfully and make sure we're doing the right thing and not just kind of yeah, that makes perfect sense, and it's not a simple thing just sticking a B two B capability yeah. to a platform. Yeah, and um, on that, so you might not be able to answer this, um, but so with if you look at shop, so I've been trying to dig quite a lot on Shopify yeah. and Handshake, and uh, kind of what their plan is with that product, yeah. and whether it's an acquisition to bring knowledge into Shopify or take functionality out of Handshake and build it into Shopify, yeah. or even like you say, kind of have it as an isolated platform. Um, what's your plan in terms of that? Is it to kind of have you now acquired? a a team that can build a really solid b2b capability yeah i mean we, we, you know as i said we've got we've got thousands of b2b customers globally yeah. already who, who get a lot of value out of the epi platform so this will be some of it is around expertise a phenomenal team um at, at insight um and so 
bringing some of that capability in to understand, you know, ask the questions maybe we weren't asking before to, to help our customers solve problems. Yeah. Um, but the other bit will be to taking some of the best of, of the platform and, you know, seeing how we can grow the overall platform. That makes sense. Um, and what are some of the items that are in your roadmap for 2020? So kind of specific improvements, maybe some new ones and maybe some areas where you're improving existing areas of the platform. Yeah, so, so one of them yeah, is obviously um, is, is the, the integration piece of this new capability. Yeah. Um, the other one is looking at how um, making the platform more open. So, you know, we've already been called out about how great it is um, terms of extensibility but just going further with that just in terms of um, sort of breaking up and more compartmentalizing some of the pieces of the platform so uh, more technical teams can kind of take advantage of, of it. And, and by open I think it'd be useful to clarify what you mean do you mean as in people are able to to take what you've got and extend on it so yeah, basically through APIs yeah. or is it's not about being able to change anything in the core? application this is about yeah, it's, it's building, more, it's on top of. building on top of in okay. terms in terms of using our apis we already have lots of customers already using us um we have uh, great headless capability so they're using us in a headless way in terms of, sort of using uh, the, the content the commerce pieces across other applications within their organizations um things like more modern architecture as well so we've had um customers using us for uh, progressive web apps um building really fantastic experiences within that and so really just about um allowing uh developers uh, developer community to kind of do more with the platform as well and are you for things like pwas are you going down the route of say something like uh, magento where they build out a studio to like accelerate developers or is it about ensuring the platform architecture is ready for somebody who wants to build a front-end PWA? Yeah, to, to, to date, it's been more about making sure it's, it's open, that, that someone can build with the tools okay. that they prefer to build. I think you know, as as that becomes more um, standardised, we'll probably put some things in place to make it easier, again, to play with those types okay. of yeah. um, solutions. Um, so it sounds like, or from talking to you and James over the last couple of weeks, you clearly have a very strong native feature yeah. set within the platform and there's a lot of things within the platform that other platforms would require yeah. third parties for. Um, what are some examples or at least one example of something that maybe you would generally recommend using a third party yeah. for and you don't plan on building in the platform? So one of the things we, we kind of don't get so much involved with is um, CRM and ERP in terms of we have yeah. um, Great connectors that connect to those solutions, or our, our integration partners have kind of touched most um, solutions now. Interesting, one of the things that the the Insight acquisition brought is they they've got um, a fantastic uh, a whole range of pre-built integrations into popular ERPs. Yeah, I think it's a really powerful thing for, for us to, to take a closer look at. Um, and you know that that's the often the complexity and the backbone of most. Um, businesses or certainly retail businesses so you know we, we allow some of that expertise but just make sure that we're open and can play very nicely with those types of businesses one of the things that, that i've i've heard in a few uh, projects where i've been like helping people through selection is a perception that the platforms like an epi server or salesforce are much slower to go live on because they're typically seen as these big enterprise platforms and and i think people tend to assume, associate things like shopify and big commerce with rapid deployments um i know that that there's some changes been happening um, to to kind of enable faster deployment. So, can you talk listeners through that? But how can you get live quickly on Epi Server? And what is a realistic? I know that it's 
piece of string, right? Because yeah. depending on integration complexity, it could add loads of time. But all things being equal, you know, what 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 is some of the fastest deployments that you've seen? So, so in terms of yeah, the the, the piece of string questions, interesting. Um, one of the things that we that we know um, we get we do very well on is total cost of ownership in terms of so so Forrester did a, um, a report a year or so ago where they, they looked at EpiServer and uh, in terms of the, the investment required and the, the, how much money the people are saving because of the cloud solution all these kind of things and we came up with this fantastic um, ROI uh, figure and then when you compare that to the other all the other platforms, some of which you mentioned, it was head and shoulders because, as you say, there's this kind of false economy where you say, well, I've got the basic platform, but okay, I'm going to need to go over and buy a, a, a recommendation tool. Well, that needs integrating. I need to go and buy a, an A-B testing platform. Well, that needs integrating. I need to go and buy a search list. That needs integrating. And all these things actually build up into um, build up to, to an overall kind of project time. So the initial go-live might be relatively quick, but by the time you've actually added in any decent capability, but how about you got say you've got a, 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 a more simple business that doesn't want to build out a yeah. custom front end and do really complex content management like bespoke themes they just want something that can help them get live quickly do you have equivalents to um like tech yes i guess um um themes that you get in like shop yeah so, so, so what so one of the things we launched again second half of last year was EpiServer foundation which was um, essentially an accelerator site a starter site that's um, production ready, fully supported by us, has got um, all of our latest capabilities, all of our features already in it. So in terms of being able to help our partners and our customers really accelerate the build, um, we have that and that's available and that's free as well. So, so that's available on GitHub. Uh, okay. And so they can, um, you know, because we partner developers, we even customer developers, where you can download that and start playing around and stuff. And, and from like, say, the, the content management point, does that have existing, like, kind of um, template themes? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, you yeah, have yeah, pre-built yeah. components that you could just use. Yeah. And, so so uh, there's okay. some of that stuff you see where, you know, certainly in a commerce project, you say, well, I'm, I probably don't need to build the checkout flow from scratch every time. Yes. I don't need to build the about yeah. us page from scratch every time. Um, so it's got some of those common pages. But then again, it's it's extensible. So where some of those other platforms where you're kind of tightly locked into that theme once, you, once you've installed it, then you can actually build on top of it and actually customize it to your business and you know work with as many clients that you know that there's usually something unique about most businesses that they struggle to kind of get over digitally well you know with an extensible platform they can do that presumably um a lot of the si's that work with server as well kind of build their own kind of components and theming as well yeah which they would then use yeah so, so some have so some of either sort of um take some parts of foundation and use yeah. it in their own kind of start sites others have just adopted foundation completely um, again, with the um, app marketplace, we have some of the SIs will be building specific integrations and, yeah. stuff and launching them into the, into the app marketplace as well, either to show off their, their own um, IP or, or to, you know, there's another revenue stream for their business. Excellent. Um, I've got a, a, a kind of key final discussion point, and you're going to love it because it's by no means a small or simple one to answer. So I like to ask these type of questions. I uh, wanted to, to, to kind of explore how the cost model works because this is, I mean, often the conversations yeah. me and Paul get, and people go, well, hang on a minute, what's it going to cost me? So what would be useful to understand is just at a high level, how does the cost model work? How does it differ to competitors? Um, and typically what type of business do you find is getting the best ROI? Because you mentioned the Forrester report. What type of business is getting that best ROI? So where we, um, so in, in terms of commerce, um, 
we historically have done page views, so it's a real consumption based. You know, yeah. how, how much you use is, is how much you get charged. We are moving more towards a, a transaction fee. Um, okay. In terms of there's some retailers, obviously very, very clear in terms of kind of building out that ROI thing that they c kind of understand it. So um, based on how many transactions are going through the platform. And that's obviously different than a kind of um, maybe a sort of fast fashion retailer and rather than a kind of big B2B um, manufacturer. So just looking and working with customers because we usually find one size model doesn't fit all businesses. Yeah. Uh, I think that's good. It's, it's useful so it's flexible because I, I've got a few case studies with, with clients where they have really long purchase cycles. They do a huge yeah. amount of content editorial and they have loads and loads of sessions before purchase yeah. and really high AOV. But the actual um, transactions and to sorry total revenue isn't that massive. Yeah. So actually on a pure content consumption, it becomes disproportionately high. Yeah. So, it's used, so you would basically look at that model and find... Yeah, I mean, we've got right some clients who are, you know, dozens of orders a day, but each one of those orders is worth tens of thousands of dollars yeah. or yes. thousands of euros, tens of thousands of euros. So it's making sure that you're working with the customer and working with their, their finance teams to make sure that, that you find a model that works for them. And um, from my understanding, just for clarification people as well, because you see EpiServer as a vendor, you enter into an agreement with EpiServer, the licence fee is direct with you guys, it's not done via SIs, or do SIs ever... Set up the license fees. Yeah, in for... the most part, yeah, directly with us. Nowadays, okay. Yeah, so we use various things. But... And with um with that licensing, do would you generally include kind of every module um, within that, or is it kind of modular? Um, it's moving to more of a modular piece right. where we where we accept that some people might not. There's certainly where people say, well, I do want um, the, if you take commerce, you automatically get the content management yeah. system. But equally, content you um, might not want and commerce. Exactly, yes. Yeah. So, 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 so there's that side. Um, and then things like where the personalization, maybe they don't have, they're not ready for that kind of level of personalization yet within their business. They'll, they'll automatically get out of the box um, the sort of manual personalization to be on sort of group segmentation and stuff. But in terms of kind of the AI stuff, they might not feel ready for that yet. Um, and also, if you email or kind of some of the other bits, you can just add on yeah. afterwards. Cool. That's um, hopefully that's that's given people enough information on sound the core cost model, and of course it all depends on uh, what time of the year they come and talk to you about whether they picked you at quarter end <laughs> or year end. <laughs> How excited the salespeople are! Um, excellent. So uh, that's been really useful for me. That's clarified uh, um, quite a lot of uh, the questions we had. I don't know, Paul. Was there anything else that you wanted to probe on? One last Joey's one. Time? Yeah, so one last one. So for both me and listeners, um, where can people learn more about EpiServer? Maybe kind of beyond just looking at the website. So um, I would say on the website, we do have um, loads of really good webinars um, where we're putting out either, you know, sort of some just sort of top tricks within the platform. We also saw some high level kind of industry stuff, but there's some really good kind of short, punchy, 30 minute kind of overviews of, of the platform. Um, also, you know, follow me on Twitter, Joey Izzy, and you know, share some, some sort of EpiServer stuff and things that's going on, events and, and so on and so forth. Um, but there's, there's a, a, a big and growing community around Epi now, quite a lot of momentum, certainly in the UK. So you know, there's lots of things going on. Amazing. Uh, thanks for your time. We've answered all the key questions we wanted. And as Joey just said, if there's anything else um, you want to ask him, then do, do hit him up uh, on Twitter at Joey Izzy 
or I'm sure he'll be happy for you to stalk him shamelessly on LinkedIn as well. Um, is there anything else you wanted to add in terms of like the position of EpiServer to make sure everyone's clear on, on what it is and what it does? Well, I, I do think that we're serving a particular point in the market for um, growing organisations who are wanting to really connect with customers and make the customers at the very centre of their business. Um, especially where we're seeing that in retail, for retailers, speciality retailers have a particular story to sell, um, a particular toy, story to tell. Uh, we think that is a really valuable proposition. I like story to sell. I think that's that's commerce in my book. That's commerce and content, right? That's the integration point there. Um, Amazing. So, yeah, thanks again for your time and for sharing the, the insights on EpiServer. Uh, and for those listening, thanks for tuning in, and we hope you've learned something new and enjoyed the uh, session today. So that's the end of Episode 10. Uh, podcast available on RSS if anyone wants to, to get hooked up to that. Um, that's via Anchor.fm. And also we're on all the popular channels like Spotify, Google, and Apple. And if you do want to get alerts on the, the uh, latest ses- uh, sessions and upcoming ones, then do uh, sign up to the newsletter on the website. We'll, uh, we'll fire off emails each time we've got a new episode available. And any questions, always feel free to give me a pull or shout via Twitter or LinkedIn. So thanks, Joey. Always a pleasure. Thank you very much, guys.